Well, good morning. It is good to be back. I have uh, never been so sick in my life, <laughs> and I still have this little pesky <clears throat> cough that will show up from time to time, and I will be drinking water as we go through that, just some residue from this, but uh, Heather and I want to thank you all for the incredible support you gave to our family during this time. It was incredible, the cards, the emails, the food, the support, the rides for our kids, all that you did, we just greatly, deeply appreciate that. Um, we had a, Heather and I were talking a while back about <clears throat> how people would go through these kind of things without having a church family, you know, and what it would be like to be that alone and, and realizing that the body of Christ is there when you're weak, their strength upholds you. And, uh, and to disengage from that body is foolish because at some point you're going to be weak and at some point you're going to need people to step up and, and care for you and you guys have done that and your prayers have been, have sustained us through this time. <coughs> I'm still recovering, but, but each day getting stronger, and, and I, I realized I, I've only been here one Sunday in the past two and a half months, so I had to show up today. It's been a while. Also appreciate your prayers for my mom as I sent out an email this week, but just to kind of get you caught up, I don't know how long ago it was because time is all fuzzy in my brain, but a while back, my mom obviously got, she got pretty bad, as you know. And, uh, and the cancer seemed to be taking over, and, and her, she was laying in her bed, she became comatose, her legs began to turn blue, her stomach began to bloat, and basically hospice nurses, like, this is it, gather the family, you know, this is the time. And so everybody gathered except me, because I was just too sick to go, and, and the family was there. And then, uh, by God's grace, her feet started getting color again, and the swelling went down in her stomach, and she woke up. And now she's up and walking around, and she doesn't remember any of that. And uh, she just says, well, I was on a journey somewhere, and, uh, and, and we didn't want to tell her, yeah, we thought you were going to die, you know. So she's still out of it and still a bit confused, and she still has cancer, and she's, but, but uh, God, at least I like to think of it this way, that allowed me to be able to spend a few days with her to get through this yuck and crud and uh, so I've been able to be with her a few days and, and uh, praising God for that. But appreciate your prayers as you've uh, been praying for us. So uh, I'm going to ask you this morning to turn to the book of Acts. And we are going to begin our study today of this wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible. <coughs> and we're just going to do an introduction to the book of Acts this morning. But, uh, but today we're going to try to just set the table for hopefully an incredible journey for us as a church to go through this study together. But I would just ask for you to bow your head with me. I'm just going to open our time in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this body. I thank you for the family that we have here that we get to share. I thank you for these people that have supported me and my family and upheld us over these months and and I thank you for um, just the love that we get to share with each other. I thank you for the, the gospel that brings us into relationships. <coughs> and I thank you now that we get to study 
this great book together. And I pray, God, now as our hearts and our minds focus on Acts, that it would really genuinely be a life-changing study for us. May we see the authority of Jesus and the great, incredible privilege it is to be a witness of him. Lord, I pray for our time now. May our heart and our mind be focused on you. Lord, may your word just stir us up. And uh, I'm grateful that we get to be under your word together. In Christ's name, amen. I was thinking, as I was thinking about Acts over the past month, kind of floating in and out and thinking about our study, and, 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 a, and a story came to my mind. It's something I have shared with you before, and I apologize. It's an old story, recycling an old one. But it, it really was on my mind a lot, an event that happened to me that really ties in to... Uh, how I see and understand the book of Acts. It has to do with an event, and like I said, it's probably a story many of you are familiar with, but when I was in uh, eighth grade, when I was in eighth grade, uh, disco was very popular. So for some of you, that makes me very young, and for others of you, that makes me very old, okay? <clears throat> but it was popular, and I didn't like disco, but uh, disco was more than a dance craze, for those of you who were alive then. Disco was also a fashion statement, right? And uh, I had a disco outfit when I was in eighth grade. I had these brown corduroy pants that were bell-bottoms. <clears throat> I had a blue crushed velour shirt that uh, had a V-neck cut into it, a collar, short sleeves. Right? It, it was, Christine has this look of horror on her face. <laughs> in the 70s, that looked really looked cool. And, uh, and that was like my disco outfit. And, and I, when I wore it in eighth grade, I felt in style. And, uh, and then after eighth grade came my freshman year of high school, and I went to a fairly big high school, 35, 3,700 kids, you know. And, but something happened between my eighth grade year and my freshman year. Something no one told me happened. Disco died. It, like, died really fast. I didn't know that. So, of course, you're a freshman in high school. What do you want to do as a freshman in high school? You want to fit in. So one day I put on my disco outfit and I'm walking through the hallways and I'm not even to my locker and I have these upperclassmen calling me disco boy. And I realized disco died. It died on me and I didn't know what to do. So I ran to the pay phones, because there's no cell phones, right? It's the seven, eight, you know, it's late, early 80s. I run to the, to the pay phone and I call my parents, my mom, and I say, mom, you have to bring me some clothes. Now, my mom isn't feeling the same pressure, right? And so she's like, why? You look fine. No, you have to bring me some clothes. No, I'm not coming all the way to the school. You're wearing, what you're wearing is fine, right? So you can imagine how this conversation is going back and forth. I'm arguing with my mom, and, and she can't even remotely understand the pressure that I'm under. And, uh, and I can't remember if I convinced her to bring me clothes or not, but what I do remember is afterwards running to my gym locker and putting on my gym shirt. I at least had to dump the crush velour shirt. You know, I mean, I could handle the bell bottoms, but the, the crush velour shirt had to go. So I remember wearing my smelly gym shirt around the day because I would rather wear that and smell than, than really be out of style. Now, the reason why I was thinking of that story is I was thinking about how abruptly styles changed 
And when it changed, how, how quickly that impacted me and how behind the curve I was and the pressure that I felt and the awkwardness of it. And the reason why I was thinking about that, and this is where maybe it was the medication I was on where I made this connect in my head, I don't know. But, but the connection was this. I was thinking, when Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven and, and sent the Spirit of God down upon the follower, on his followers, the whole world dramatically changed for them. It's changed so radical, radically that they had to play catch-up. They were, in one sense, figuring this thing out as the world was just changing so dramatically for them. The whole way they related to God changed. The whole way they related to each other changed. The whole way they related to the world changed. It all changed. And one of the unique things that you see is you're watching these, these followers of Jesus, in essence, experience this change each step of the way. There are times when, when all of a sudden, they have a problem on their hand, and they're trying to feed people, and they don't know what to do. And, and, and the apostles are like, well, we can't solve this problem. What should we do? And they're praying, and God is telling them what to do. And each step along the way, they're figuring this thing out as they're seeing and experiencing the incredible power that came upon them. That the work of Jesus wasn't just a, a small little individual work that sealed their eternity, but the work of the cross absolutely radically changed their life, their world, the way they experienced each other, everything. In the book of Acts, as I was reading through it these past few weeks, I was reading through it just kind of trying to experience these moments with them. What it was like all of a sudden to be Peter and you're preaching and thousands of people get saved at one moment. And all of a sudden, now these people are operating as a church and they've got to care for them and then persecution comes upon them and now they're scattering and they're running and and they've got to take this gospel out and then gentiles are getting saved and bringing in all kinds of problems and and they've got to pray what do we do how do we handle this because you see the message of jesus is a life-changing life-altering message it radically changes everything in a moment we're going to explore this as we begin to get into the study of the book of Acts. We're going to see these changes. We're going to see what the call of the gospel does in your life. We're going to see what the power of the whole, or how the power of the Holy Spirit impacts us and impacts the world. We're going to see the joy that comes from serving God and the pain that comes from disobedience. We're going to see the grand plan of God for this world. And we're going to see what it means to be part of that grand plan. And I was thinking about the study of this book, and I was thinking about all the young people that are in the room. Kids, you're in this room, and you're, you're hearing this study. And I want you to realize something. There's an incredible thing that is said in the book of Acts a couple of times. And this incredible thing is this. They'll make a reference. This person got saved, and his whole household as well. You could interpret it this way. Not only did the message of the gospel come upon mom and dad, the power and the message of the gospel came upon the kids as well. And the great thing about the power of the Spirit of God 
is that he can work through somebody who's seven years old just as much as he can work through somebody who's 70 because it's his power. And so when you, we go through this study, kids, I want you to realize something. You're just as much a part of this as your parents are. This is just as much for you as it is for me. And you're just as much a tool in the kingdom of God as I am. And I'm excited that we get to study this together. Now today we're just setting the table. We're going to answer three simple questions. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to read, going to answer the question, who wrote Acts? Simple one, that'll be fast. How do we read Acts? And thirdly, what does Acts teach us? And I've been thinking about this, and, and I want to share with you my heart, my expectation. Um, this is what I hope for us in our whole study of the book of Acts. I hope that this study of the book of Acts becomes a historic moment in the life of our church. So that's big vision for it, right? I'm going to cast the big one. I hope it becomes a historic moment. I hope that we can so engage this study together as families, as body, that we look back on this and 10 years from now we can say, do you remember that time when we studied Acts? That's my prayer. I hope that we have a thousand conversations that begin with, do you remember that time when we studied Acts? I remember that. That changed my life so dramatically. So that's my prayer. My prayer is that coming out of this would be a thousand conversations that begin with, do you remember that time when we studied Acts? I want it to transform us as a church. Because as I've been reading through this and seeing it and studying it, it's done that for me already. It's done that for me, and, and, and I want it to do that for us as a body. But let's begin. Let's jump into this. Let's just simply unpack, answer some of these questions, and so I can just set the table so that next week, Lord willing, we can jump into chapter one. <coughs> let's just look. Who wrote Acts? This is a pretty simple answer. Luke did. This is volume two of Luke's work. We can see that there in verse one. The first book, O Theophilus, right there. That's what he's saying. Luke wrote this. Now, who was Luke? Let's just kind of remind ourselves who Luke is. Luke was a doctor, and Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. He went on some of his missionary journeys. In fact, when you study Acts, you get into chapter 16, the narrative kind of changes, and you begin to start saying, we went here, we went there. Luke actually writes in the first person because he traveled with Paul. He was a first-hand witness of many of the things that, that happened in the book of Acts. But he also was a doctor. And being a doctor, he was a very smart man. And he wrote this letter, and, and both Luke and Acts, for a very specific purpose. He wrote these letters to try to explain to a man by the name of Theophilus who Jesus is in full detail and all that he brought when he brought the kingdom of God. So Theophilus believed in Jesus. But he's saying, listen, I want to take your understanding of Jesus, that, that, that he's the Savior, that he's the Lord, and whatever you understand, Theophilus, and I just want to expand it for you and really tell you who Jesus is. Really explain to you in all of its fullness who Jesus is. That's what I want you to see. And so that's what he does. Now just a, a little understanding, maybe a little factual understanding on something. 
Luke and Acts, I believe, really represents, in one sense, one thought for Luke. Why would I say this? You know, this is just a little, little kind of uh, details, background details. A papyrus length, if you were going to write something and you were to go and get some papyrus to write it, the maximum length of a papyrus scroll in Luke's day was 35 feet long. So that's about how long you had to write, 35 feet. If you take the Gospel of Luke and you put it on a papyrus, you put it in the Greek, write it at the, the same size that Luke would have written it, it fills up 35 feet. You take Acts, it fills up 35 feet. What I believe that Luke is doing is he finishes his first papyrus. Da -da 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 -da. Scrolls it up, takes the second one. Okay, now let me try to continue. I'm going to pick up where I left off. And I'm beginning to, to because you see, the, the understanding isn't just, we don't end with Jesus ascending into heaven. That's not the end of the story. When he ascended into heaven, something incredible happened. The very Spirit of God came down upon people. And these people began to be witnesses of Jesus. And so we have to finish what I began. If you're going to understand Jesus, you've got to understand his disciples. And so that's what we have here in Luke. Okay, so Luke is written, the Acts, Acts is written by Luke, written to a man named Theophilus. We pick up from the Gospel of Luke that Theophilus was probably a Roman official, which is called the most excellent Theophilus, probably a Roman official. His name means lover of God. That's what Theophilus means, lover of God. So he's a believer, and Luke is trying to unpack Jesus to him. Now, that's who wrote it. Let's get into how we read Acts. This is a very important thing, and I want to explain it to you. Acts has a lot of very interesting stories, doesn't it? Right? Like, to me, of all the stories, the strangest one is Ananias and Sapphira. That's a strange story, isn't it? Right? People are giving money, they're giving their possessions willfully, right? The elders aren't standing up saying, give us everything you own. People are just saying, wow, you got need? Here, take my stuff, right? And so Ananias and Sapphira, they, they want to join in the game, right? So what do they do? They, they say, oh, we're going to give all this money, right? And then they don't give it. And they lied. And Peter confronts the wife and says, hey, how much money did you give? Oh, this amount. No, you didn't. Die. Boom. And she dies, right? And then same thing happens again. comes up to the husband. How much money did you give? This much. No, you didn't. Boom. Dies. That's a weird story. Now, could you imagine if we just applied that? If you lie today in church, you will die. Could you imagine that? Right? If I were to preach that, you'd be shopping around on your phone for other churches right now, right? Right? If I were to just uh, woodenly apply that story and tell you, if you lie in our building on a Sunday, you'll die. You would say, that's crazy talk. Okay, now... The reason why I'm saying this is, what do we do with stories like that in Acts? And if that one doesn't apply literally, then why would something else apply literally? Do I get to just pick and choose what I want to take out of Acts? How do we do this? Well, I want to give you at least one uh, study tip today. As we go through Acts, I'll give you more. But I want to just give you one simple thing to help you understand how to read Acts. And that is to understand the structure of Acts. 
Because context means everything, doesn't it? Context means everything. So the first thing we need to know is what is the context of the book? The context of the book of Acts is very simple to see. And in fact, you can see it there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The entire structure of the book is given there. Let me show it to you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to the disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now that statement is what Jesus is saying. You're going to now be my witness right here in the broader region of Israel and around the world. And you know what the, the, the book of Acts is? The book of Acts is divided into three sections. The first section is found in Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the witness of the disciples in Jerusalem. We will see their witness in Jerusalem. Then, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, all the way through chapter 9, verse 30, you begin to start seeing the witness of the disciples in Judea and Samaria. And then, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, to the end of the book, it's the witness to the world. Now, why is that important? How does that help us read the book of Acts? What it does is it helps us understand the setting. So you can take that story of Ananias and Sapphira and say, okay, where's that found? Well, that's actually found in the section in Jerusalem, the witness of the apostles in Jerusalem, which means the context are Jews. What is the number one problem that Israel had in the Old Testament? Okay. Nobody wants to answer that out loud because you probably get it wrong, right? So you say the number one problem. What's the number one problem? The number one problem that all of Israel has is they did not fear God. Every prophet all along the way would tell people, you've got to fear God. You are going through life, you're doing all your religious stuff, you're treating God as if the religious ceremonies are the things that make him happy. You must fear God. So now I know that the number one problem of devout religious people is that they serve their religion over fearing God. I know that to be true. Now I place that in the context of Ananias and Sapphira, and what do I find out? Well, these people, they're just treating God as if you could just go through the motions. And God, at the very beginning, are telling these these religious people in Jerusalem, you better fear me. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an excuse to not fear God. Now their death starts to make sense when I understand we're in the Jerusalem ministry. Who are the people, devout religious people in Jerusalem? I can expand out. Now I have the witness in Judea and Samaria. Now I have the witness to the world. Now these things start to make sense. The Apostle Paul spends more time talking about the kingdom of God than Peter does in other places. Why? Because he's out there among the Roman Empire, among the kingdom of men, and he's saying, listen, there's more than the kingdom of Rome right now. There's the kingdom of God. You see, these settings, these knowing who we're talking to helps me understand how they're choosing to communicate. Now, there's something cool I want to point out to you. At the end <coughs> the end of each section, Luke gives a summary statement of the ministry. 
So he'll tell you about the ministry in Jerusalem. Then he summarizes it. Then he tells you about the ministry in Judea and Samaria. And then he summarizes it. Tells you about Paul's ministry into the world. And then he summarizes it. Let me show you these summaries. The first summary is found in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Notice how he summarizes the ministry in Jerusalem. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So as they're in Jerusalem, you know what's going on? Well, first of all, the word of God continued to increase. What does that mean? The idea is, is, is more and more people start preaching the word of God, and the word of God is going out more and more and more. What's the significance of that? The significance of that is, that is that the message of Jesus is tied and rooted in the Old Testament. Right? In the New Testament, Jesus' ministry wasn't just something that God added, like, oh, Jews got it wrong, I'm going to start something new here. No, God made a bunch of promises that were all fulfilled in Jesus. And these guys were running around preaching, saying, listen, see these promises, see this, see this. And they kept going, and more and more followers of Jesus. Notice, they're not just called Christians here, they're called disciples, right? Because the call is to follow Jesus. More and more disciples begin to grow, and the word of God is going out, and what's the impact? Priests are walking away from the temple and following Jesus. Priests are. It's actually having an impact among the religious sect to where people are saying, wait a minute, Jesus was the final sacrifice. And they began to be obedient to the faith, walk away from the sacrificial system, place their faith in Jesus. Now whether you know it or not, that is an incredibly powerful impact. That's radical change. That is a radical change in Jerusalem. A highly religious place. Okay. There's another summary statement. Okay. Now the message then is going out. Jerusalem is the capital. Now it's moving out of the capital into the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, and Samaria. Samaria is the, the region where the half-Jews, half-Gentiles live. That's kind of in the middle. So you have, you think of Israel like your thumb. If you remember this illustration. And uh, below your knuckle is uh, Judea. I like to say by this little hair that I have right here, that's Jerusalem. Okay? And it's right in the, right in the top part of, of uh, Judea. Galilee is the northern section. And right at my joint, right, joint, is Samaria. Okay? Where the half-breeds live. Half Jew, half Gentile. So now they've left the little hair. They've moved down the lower part of my thumb into my joint up here and up top. Knuckle, I guess, right? Knuckle and, uh, and up top. So now it's spreading. And as it's spread out, notice how Luke summarizes that ministry. Verse 30, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Notice the first powerful statement. Right? In Jerusalem, you have priests being converted, which is like, whoa. Now here, what do you have? You have peace breaking out. Judea, the southern kingdom, Galilee, the northern kingdom, did not get along. Even under Rome, they still struggled with each other. And no one liked the Samaritans. 
But the power of the gospel is so strong that it can start bringing unity. It can do what the United Nations and peacekeeping missions cannot do. It can bring peace to a war-torn region, to where there's conflict. That's what the gospel does. We have peace in Judea, Galilee, Samaria. And not only that, the church is building up, it's growing. And people are fearing God, and the Holy Spirit is bringing comfort over their hearts, and it's multiplying, it's moving, it's growing, it's advancing. That was the power of the gospel in the Judea, Samaria. Now, the world. What happened in the world? Paul goes out, <coughs> and this summary statement is a bit thinner than the other ones because the ministry is continuing. What do I mean by that? Well, just look, let me show you what I mean. Acts chapter 28. I'll start at verse 30 just to set the context. He lived there, Paul, lived in, in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. He's in the capital where the, the Roman emperor thinks he's a god or going to be a god when he dies. And he's standing there saying, Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is what matters. And he's preaching it with boldness. He's standing in the seat of human power explaining to them the divine power of Jesus. That's what's going on. And Luke ends so abruptly, and I think it ends abruptly because this ministry is continuing. The message to the world is continuing. Keeps going. It doesn't stop with Paul. It keeps going. So you see all these differences. But yet, what you see in all of this is the power of the gospel to actually impact change wherever it is. Priests repenting, peace breaking out among people who can't stand each other. And the lordship of Jesus Christ being proclaimed among the governors and leaders of the Roman Empire. The power. When you see all of this, and we're able to place each story in those contexts, with those ends in mind, then it makes sense. And the strange things of Acts, you can deal with. You can deal with. Okay, so we see road acts, see how to read acts. What does Acts teach us? Let's answer our third question here today. The book of Acts is an important book, and as I said earlier, I believe that, 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 that Luke is just continuing his message. But there's three things that I want you to see about what it teaches. And the first one is this, that the content of Acts is about Christ. Verses 1 and 2, Luke says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach till the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The implication, this is a transition statement. Okay, in the first book, this is what I did. I told you about Jesus, and I brought you all the way up to his ascension. And now I'm going to continue to tell you about these guys and how they were witnesses of this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world. I want to show you what happened when Jesus sent his spirit upon them. And I want to show you how the gospel changes everything. That's what I want to show you. I want to, I want to explain to you this incredible thing. But what this reminds us of is that Luke, or um, Acts, is about Jesus. Now why do I say that? Because I could take an individual story and I could make it about whatever I want. 
I could take the Ananias and Sapphira story and use it as a message on tithing, right? They gave everything. So, I've got buckets up here. Give us everything. If you don't, you will die. Right? I could do that. But what's wrong with that? It's not about Jesus. We've got to bring every story and ask us, how was this a testimony and a witness of the power and the authority and the glory and the purposes of Jesus in this world? Because these guys weren't just out there to start a new religion. They were out there making disciples of Jesus. They weren't starting denominations. They were calling people to be disciples of Jesus. And so the content of Acts, we always have to remember that, is about Jesus. That's why, you know, you, you see in your Bible, probably the title of this book is The Acts of the Apostles. I would change that. You know, I would change it. I would title it this way. The Acts of Jesus Christ through the power of His Spirit in the lives of the disciples. It's the Acts of Jesus it's these guys bearing witness that Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension isn't just something about preparing you for your deathbed. It's about radically changing the way you view God, the way you view the world, the way you view each other. It's the type of thing that can free you from religion. It's the type of thing that can bring peace to troubled places. It's the type of thing that recognizes there's a greater authority than any president can ever have or any king could ever have. There's a king that rules this world that is better and eternal and great. It's this message that anchors us in this world and gives us perspective. These guys were witnesses of that truth. And so its content is about Jesus. Second thing I want you to see, though, is that the logic of this book surrounds two things, resurrection and judgment you're going to find that Jesus is presented as judge in this book more than he's presented as Savior. That's just one of the surprises of the book of Acts. The apostles are running around saying, he rose from the dead, which means he's judge of the world. Listen to him. Listen to him. Because the judge of the world can be your defense attorney if you would trust in him. And so the message is he rose. He died, but he rose. And because he rose, he has authority. Listen to him. And the apostles will spend more time presenting Jesus as judge than they will as Savior. It's very unique. It's what you would not expect. The book of Acts has 28 chapters, as we've divided it up in our Bible. But there are 24 sermons in the book of Acts. There's more preaching in the book of Acts than there is anything else. It outweighs everything. It outweighs every miracle. It outweighs every event. The sermons are what hold this book together. Why? Because these people were telling people about Jesus. They're explaining to them the world. Defining reality for them. Jesus died. He rose. And because he died... Because he rose. He's the judge of the living and the dead. And he died because he made a way for you to be reconciled to God. 
And his way is the way of truth. His way is the way of life. And if you reject that, you're rejecting not just the message of salvation. You are standing and opposing the judge of the universe. The one who possesses all authority and power. And if you reject that man, you're rejecting life itself. That's the message they keep proclaiming over and over and over. It's a powerful message. So, so the content of this thing is resurrection, judgment. Third logic. That's the logic that owns the way they think. Third thing I want you to see is that the goal, kind of the movement, I, I probably would change that rather from the goal of Acts, to say the movement of Acts is to show the expansion of the church all the way to Rome. Because the church was never designed to be a static thing. What do I mean by static? Static means not movable. It doesn't move. That's what static means. The church was intended to expand. God created billions of people. And he wants those billions of people to know that Jesus died and rose from the dead and is the judge of the living and the dead. And you can have life and peace and restoration in him. And the last thing he wanted for that church was to believe that, experience that, and then sit on it. He wanted them to take it out, to move with it. And so it's a move, it's a book of movement. And you will see the church grew. It multiplied, it grew, it multiplied. That statement is used over and over and over again in Acts. It moved, it multiplied, it grew, they grew, they multiplied, they kept going. They kept taking it out. Why? Because people need to know it. People need to know it. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the, the, the Ebola crisis. And I was watched something on PBS. Maybe some of you saw this about the Ebola crisis and how horrible this disease is. And people are just spreading it to their families. And, and, and it, like watching this documentary, I actually shut it off because I got so depressed. And now the antibiotics was making me very emotional. I was crying at everything. And so I'm watching this thing and I'm like, I can't watch this anymore. You know, because these, these families are dying and, and it was breaking my heart. It really was. And so I turned it off and went to bed. But I was thinking, if I had the cure for this thing, I'd sell everything to get on a plane and bring that cure to Africa. I would. I'd quit my job. Right? If you, watch, you just watch the movies. Watch the videos of these people dying. Right? How, if I had the cure, could you imagine if I, if I had the cure in my house and the, and the cure would cost me $60,000 to get it to Africa? Let's say that's what the cost is for me personally. Could you imagine if I held that thing and said, nah, nah, you know, we just got Netflix and I'm really comfortable with Netflix. And I mean, it costs us eight bucks a month and we've got a new TV and I'm just really comfortable right now. So yeah, sorry, the cost is, I mean, 60,000 would mean I'd have to sell probably my house because I don't know if I own $60,000 worth of stuff. Right? If I was thinking that way, I would hope you would kick me in the shins. Right? It'd be worth everything to cure, bring the cure. And these people realized when they were made alive, you can imagine these priests being set free from the bondage of, of, of continual sacrifices before God. They had to make the message known. 
You had to be set free. Could you imagine Samaritans being in relationships with Jews? Something that never happened. And the oneness, they have to let people know it. It's worth everything to tell that message. People who are caught up in the, in the trials and the bondage of politics being set free, that there's a greater king than Nero, than the emperor, who, can, who will rule with justice and mercy. If you're set free, you've got to let people know. You've got to let people know. And that's what this book is about. It's about people experiencing the life-altering change of Jesus and then taking it out. Okay, so we saw Road Ash, learned how to read it. We learned a little bit about structure and what, it, what the book is about. And my prayer now for us is very simple. As I said at the beginning, I want Acts to be our moment. I want this to be the time for us as a body when we saw the same thing and it radically changed us just as it did for the people who experienced this book. And that coming out of this time would be an opportunity for us to be absolutely radically changed. And kids, I was thinking about you guys. And I want to close with the story and then I want to give us some things to pray about. But I want to tell a story for you guys, for you kids. You know, and some of you adults, you know this story, how my family came to faith in Christ. But the way my family came to faith in Christ was very simple. I was not born into a Christian family. My, my parents weren't Christians. My, no one was. We were just your average American, you know, lower middle class family in suburbia of Chicago. And uh, didn't have a lot of money. We just kind of went through life. And, and my brother, when he was at the age of 12, was invited to a VBS. And he went to the VBS and he became a Christian. And he asked the teacher, how can I share Jesus with my parents? And the teacher said this, clean your room and obey them. That's all you got to do. And after some time, they're going to ask you, what happened? They'll ask you. Trust me. And when, you, when they ask you, you tell them about Jesus. So, months go by. His room is clean. He's obeying. He's, he's, he's just in the zone, man, obeying. And finally, my mom says to him, what happened to you? What got into you? And he goes, Jesus. And they're like, what? Jesus, yeah, I went to that church, told me about Jesus. I, <clears throat> Jesus is in my heart, and, and, uh, and I, I just want to tell you about it. And so tells my parents about it. My parents go to that church that next Sunday and they place their faith in Christ. And then I'm dragged to church, right? And I place my faith in Christ. But you know what God used to bring me to this moment was a 12-year-old boy. The 12-year-old boy was God's tool. Was God's tool. So I wanted to share that with you because... You're just as much a part of this as your parents are. You're just as much a part of this as your parents are. So I want to give us some things we can pray for for our study of Acts. And kids, I want you to pray for these things too. I want to share them with you and then we'll pray together. There's <coughs> four things. As we're going through Acts, let's let these four things own us, own our prayer life. First one is this. God, show me your power. 
That's what I've been praying to. As I've been studying, God, I want to see your power. I want to really see that power that made priests walk away from the temple, that made Samaritans and Jews get along, that gave Paul the boldness to, to proclaim Jesus' lordship in the heart and the seat of the Roman Empire. I want to see that power. That power that like thousands of people get saved at one sermon. That kind of stuff. God, show me your power. Second thing, second prayer request. God, show me where I need to change. As we're going through Acts, help me see the things in my life that I need to change. Third, God, may I be your witness. I want to be your witness, God. Make me into a witness of you. If that kind of stuff can be happening there, it should be happening here in Cal County, Illinois. And finally, God, give me the courage to be part of your work today. Because we need that courage. It's scary. I'm just going to ask you to join with me in praying for those four things throughout our study of the book of Acts together. Let's pray that now. Why don't you bow your head with me? God, I'm excited about our opportunity to be in this book. I'm excited about what we can learn, what we can see. So God, may we first of all see your power. See the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon people. and What that means and why you sent your spirit into this world. God, may we see your power. God, the areas of our lives where we've become comfortable, where we've turned Christianity into a way where we just kind of sit with it. Show us those areas. Change us, God. So that we could become your witness, Lord. May we be your witnesses. And Lord, we need courage to do that. So fill us with your courage, even today, to be a witness of you. God, I pray for every young person in this room. I pray that the next generation of witnesses would be here and that this book of Acts would prepare them and that you would use them right now to proclaim your glory. God, thank you that we get to study this as a family. Lord, may this study change us. I pray this in Christ's name.